0: Welcome to the Everything NFL Combine edition of Unexpected Points. Your analytics podcast is going to break down what is important, what's not important, going to highlight a number of prospects that look great according to modeling that I've done. And yes, I'm even going to discuss a little hashtag reporting that I've done behind the scenes, talking to some people on NFL teams about what matters and what sort of work they're doing in, the, in their analytics groups with the Combine. <music> All righty, ready? I am here to talk all combine, going to be the agenda this week, not at the combine. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that I'm still in my, uh, my mother's basement here. Um, well, not my mother's basement, but my own basement discussing things. I will be at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, or I should say I will be in Boston during the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. I will not actually be attending the conference, a little last minute for me, but I will be uh, at the Sheraton there. Eric Eager, another fellow data scientist here at PFF, is making a presentation. Maybe I can sneak in with him, but I've already lined up uh, to meet quite a few people there. And let's face it, everything that's good that's going on there is going on outside of the, the presentations. No offense to people making presentations, but there's a lot of uh, marketing power in that conference now, as opposed to analytical power. But Eric's going to give a presentation, which would be pretty good because there's kind of one like real nerd room there, at least one real nerd room where they present the findings of different papers. So if you're a true nerd, you're going to be there. You can see my uh, my 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 grill there uh, out in the coffee shop, sitting around putting together some charts for my next article, come by and say hello. Um, But let's get back to combine for now, because that's going to be the talk of the town. I don't know how I feel about this new format where everything has been pushed. And this is, this happened last year too, but everything has been pushed later in the week to prime time, to try to make it more of an event. And of course, this is the last year where it is guaranteed to be in Indianapolis, which has been hosting the combine for, I think 20 years now. So going forward, there's either going to be, I believe the three finalists for where it's going to be, Indianapolis, which, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a pity pity inclusion, potentially there, since almost everyone says they wanted to stay in Indianapolis, but they're trying to make it into a bigger event. And it's not exactly the most friendly venue in late February slash early March for people to be attending. So the other two, shockingly, are in a little bit warmer climate areas, bigger city areas. And the other two finalists are the city of Los Angeles and then also Dallas, Texas. So I think it's probably going to be one of those two. L.A., I heard last year had the inside track. Who knows if that's still the case? Uh, might depend a little bit upon what happened during the Super Bowl. Obviously, they have very new facilities out there with the new stadium for the Rams and the Chargers. And plenty of things to do weather-wise out there for people to make in an entire event and attract what is the biggest city, uh, the biggest population in California, whether it's Southern California as a whole, when you combine LA County, Orange County, San Diego Co- County, all within you know a couple of hours away from each other, that's a whole lot of people there who could potentially attend this event too. Uh, but back to this year. So what I've done is I refreshed some analysis that I had done from a couple of years back where it looks at what are the most important drills in the combine. So I'm going to discuss that on this show. The difference being that not only is it updated for a couple more years of data that we have, but I have a more comprehensive list of drills and measurements um, that we 've been that we 've compiled at PFF, which now i 'm expanding the analysis to additional measurements for certain positions, whether it 's hand size, arm size, or really the two that i 'm bringing in for different positions there or arm length, I should say, not size and then for the drills it 's pretty standard, but what i 've done is i 've added the 10 yard split to the 40 yard dash, and you 're going to be hearing me hit a lot on the 10 yard split and its importance and why it makes sense here. So those articles are available at PFF, and in the second half of the episode, I'm going to transition more into a couple of other articles I have at PFF about different models that I put together using pre combine information. There is an assumed weight. There is an assumed draft position based upon mock drafts that are going on on a site called grindingthemocks.com. A gentleman named Benjamin Robinson, if you follow him on Twitter, he compiles all the different mock drafts and comes up with a list of expected draft rankings and positions based upon that. So I use that information there. So we'll have some names, you know, sift out some names near the top, uh, who I think is more important, and also some names a little bit further down that you maybe you should pay attention to. But before I get into all of that, most of my content at PFF is locked, is premium subscription content. So if you want to get all of my pretty ggplot uh ggplot is the package in R that I use to put together all of the different plots and tables if you want to get access to all of that you want to get access to the words that I write around it you want to get access to the results of all the different modeling that I'm doing here promo code unexpected Show love for the pod. Get 25% off any PFF subscription. Start now. Get everything you need for the combine. Be on front of it before anyone else. Next week, I'll have the results from this combine put through my modeling to show you who had the best combines for all these different positions. Again, every offensive and defensive position. Looking at fantasy value in one article for the offensive skill positions. And then looking at, quote unquote, real football value according to our war statistic in the other articles. So all that's available. Promo code. Unexpected at PFF all right let's get into the articles again, the methodology here i don't know if I really need to get into too much of the the nerd shit here, but it's really an update, and I want to give credit to a gentleman named Bill Lauder, who is now what's bill up to now? Last time I saw he has founded his own company yeah, CTO and co-founder of Deep Health. He was a machine learning guy at Harvard, I believe. Uh, This is part. Oh, yeah, it's definitely Harvard because it was part of the Harvard Sports Analytics group there that he wrote these articles for. So what Bill did is he looked at what drills matter in the act in the combine drills and measurements. He used a technique called Ridge Regression. I don't want to get into it too much, but it's to estimate these coefficients. So how important these different drills are and what he was using as what we call in the biz, the target variable or what you're trying to predict. What he was using for that was approximate value, which is a value measurement that Pro Football Reference put together. And there's big formulas behind all of it, but it's a way of estimating value. But again, for something like an offensive lineman, a lot of it's just going to be based upon how much they played and how well the team did in different categories, Uh, not really to the individual. So I took the similar technique to Bill using this regression technique, using these coefficients that you derive for different measurements to gauge their impact, to assess their impact, to quantify their impact. But instead of looking at approximate value, The target variable and what I'm doing is looking at our PFF wins above replacement or our PFF war for those who are not familiar with PFF war. You can look at different articles on the site on this, Eric eager and others developed it here. And what it does is it uses our zero to a hundred grades, our play by play grades. Also for each player, it looks at what we call their different facets of what they do on the field. So for an offensive lineman, your snaps are going to primarily be based upon your run blocking grade and your pass blocking grades. For a wide receiver, you're going to have co- you're going to have um, receiving grade mostly is what's going to affect things. But then there's also a bit of run blocking that you might do. For a tight end, let's say you're going to be doing pass blocking, run blocking, receiving, everything everything involved there. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you have coverage, you have run defense, and you have pass rush. It's really those three things that you're doing. You're doing one of those three things on every single defensive snap. So we grade them on that. We use that grade to derive a value based upon the value of that particular facet. So, for instance, passing, which is primarily obviously the, the, um, The purview of the quarterback, that is going to be the most important facet, and a rushing grade is going to be less important. A pass blocking grade is going to be more important than a run blocking grade for an offensive lineman. A pass rushing grade is going to be more important than a run blocking grade, and so on. Receiving grades and coverage grades are pretty extremely important because they highly affect the impact on any particular play. And with all of that, we come out with a figure for. Are wins above replacement based upon their PFF grading for every player for every season? And it's those numbers that I'm using to gauge whether or not someone is successful in the NFL, specifically looking at the first three years of a player's career. So I'm looking at all the combine measurements and drills on one side, and then trying to use those to predict, to best predict the wins above replacement a player will generate over the first three seasons and breaking it down by each player. So I'm not going to go through every single one. Again, you can get all the details in visual and written form at PFF.com promo code unexpected again, but I'll go over some high level themes and maybe hit on some things for particular positions. Uh, First of all, I would say one high level theme that you're going to see here and it's going to be part of most of the, like, I didn't do it for quarterback because the 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 drills just don't matter nearly as much, as much a draft position type of base thing here. But if you're looking at all these other positions where the 40-yard dash, everyone is highly focused on. So we're talking about running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and then on the flip side, if we're looking at the effects for defenders, the 40 is extremely important for edge defenders as far as determining draft position. Um, Somewhat important for off-ball linebackers, pretty important for safeties, and then of course, very important for uh, cornerbacks. So what I found is by by having a collection of 10-yard splits here, and by having that data to look at, I've found over and over again at these different positions that that 10-yard split number ends up being either more important for determining determining the war value, the wins above replacement value, or at least equally important to the 40-yard dash. But yet the 40-yard dash is much more important in determining draft position than the 10-yard split. So if you... If you think about how to use these numbers, again, every number for predicting war, every number for predicting, every measurement for predicting draft position, we think about the best way to look at these numbers. One of the best ways to think about is look at the relative values of those two. You're going to want to pick out the drills that are not as impactful for draft position because that's what everyone is focusing on. That's what the NFL is focusing on Um, and find those that have a little bit higher proportion for, for war and then those are the ones you focus on, and then you can fade and vice versa. I mean, let me just use running backs as an example here, because it is a position that is highly associated with athleticism on the offensive side of the, of the ball. You see players who are late round draft picks sometimes, you know, emerge when given the right circumstance. And at least in the fantasy football world, people get very, very excited about the athletic players who tested well, according to different composite scores in the combine. So, when you look at this, when trying to predict draft position using these different drills, the 40 yard dash is by far the most important for doing so. Not only is it the most important drill or measurement for running backs, and again, let me just list the ones I'm looking at for for running backs. I'm going to get height, weight, and then all the times and jumps are weight adjusted. I adjust all these for weight, weight being by far the most important variable for normally lowering how well a player does, the heavier they are. So I look at the 10-yard split, the 40-yard dash. um, The 10-yard split is within the 40-yard dash, of course. Uh, Broad jump, vertical jump, three-cone drill, and short shuttle. So those are the ones I'm looking at for all these. So for running backs, the 40-yard dash is not only the most important drill or measurement in determining draft position, every standard deviation a running back is above, is better than a normal running back in the 40 yard dash equals out to about a 10, 9, 10% effect as far as raising your percentile for your draft position. And if you think about it, there are, I don't know, 300 ish draft draft picks in the NFL draft. So if you're moving up 10%, you could say it's maybe a round Sort of difference that you're moving up based upon hitting a standard deviation above everyone else and that weight adjusted forty yard dash time, but for war it's a much smaller amount it's only about a one percent move as opposed to a nine or ten percent move. but when we flip over to the ten yard dash, it doesn't have much of an effect at all versus the forty yard dash on people's draft position. Obviously there's a correlation there, but most of the effect is going into what's happening with the 40 yard dash, but yet it has a bigger effect on war than the 40 yard dash and a bigger effect on war than it does on draft position. And this 10 yard splits, if you think about it, just think about it logically. These drills were done, were designed for ease of measurement. It's difficult to hand time, 10 yard splits, Um, and you're going to get more consistent results on a 40-yard dash than on a 10-yard dash, which is so dependent upon your start time and having everything great there. But now that we have all the electronic timers and everything else built into this, um, it helps standardize this measurement much, much more. And intuitively, it just makes sense that the 10-yard split would be more important than a 40-yard dash because the game of football is not played in 40, 50-yard chunks. The vast majority of the time, the game in football is played in much, much smaller chunks. If you look at over the last 10 years, the number of runs, the number of rushing attempts that went for more than 10 yards, uh, is about 10%. So 90% of the time you're, you're, you're playing within 10 yards. Now, again, once you go out to 20 yards, There's even a, you know, there's even a smaller amount that are beyond that. And there's a really tiny, tiny amount beyond 30 and 40 yards. So when you're testing a 40-yard dash versus a 10-yard split, what you're really testing is how much speed you're able to accumulate 15, 20, 25, 30 yards down the field. The amount of times that that's actually happening in the NFL are very, very few. Yes, you may turn one 25-yard run into a touchdown that wouldn't have been otherwise, but it's going to be the rare circumstance where where the player is close to you, where the, your, this one was just missing because there'd be that big of a difference, right? Whereas the explosiveness that you're hitting that hole with, you're displaying and you're using that on almost every single play as a running back. That quick explosiveness, explosiveness there. And uh, one player in particular I'll highlight, showing the contrast between the 40-yard time and the 10-yard split for running backs is... Uh, Aaron Jones. So Aaron Jones was a 182nd pick overall in the 2017 draft. Uh he was taken after Jamal Williams in the same draft in the fifth round. And he makes the top 15 predictions that I have just purely based upon his combine results. And I think people were excited about his combine results. But at 208 pounds, he ran a 45640. So that weight adjusted time. Is about a 50th percentile time. If you looked at that, you would have said, hmm, he has about average-ish speed. Um now he did have other g- good drills. He had 127 inch, so 10 foot seven inch broad jump, he had a 37 and a half vertical, he had a 6.82 three cone time, so that's pretty low. So he did well in in, in other drills also. But specifically, when you look at the 10-yard split that he had. So he had a 4.5640 and he had a 1.51 10 yard split. And now th- those times are not as intuitive of us to think about, but that weight adjusted time is in the 96th percentile. That is a time that you associate with someone who runs a 40 in 4.4, not 4.56. That's the type of time that, that he put up there. And that explosiveness he's shown in the NFL. I don't think anyone would look at the, uh, at Aaron Jones and say he's about an average-ish running back when it comes to sprints because he's not when it comes to his 10-yard split. Uh, so so th- that's a good example there. Another example, when we go to tight ends, now for tight ends, these positions and these drills are a little bit less important than for some other uh, positions because there's a blocking element that they bring in addition to their athleticism receiving. But the 10-yard... The 10-yard split here is much, 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 much more important than the 40 when we're looking at their war projection, their wins above replacement projection. And again, even for for receptions, if you look at the depth of target for passes last year, about 60% are fewer than 10 yards. And if you extend it out even further... You know, it's about 85% are within 20 yards. So very rarely are you really having to sprint down the field more than 10, 15 yards to get open and catch the ball, um, unless you're a speed only type of wide receiver. So again, the 10 is much, much more important for these tight ends. And there are guys who can slip through the cracks somewhat because of their 40 times versus their 10 times. And again, you want to look a lot at the weight adjustments on these. So if you look at Mark Andrews, let me go ahead and bring up my man, Mark Andrews here. So he ran a four six seven forty 40 yard dash at 256 pounds. So if you look at, if you adjust that for his weight and you look at that one, it's about seven tenths of a second above, so sorry, seven tenths, seven hundredths of a second above a better than you would have expected. Again, you, you go in here and you say that's about a middling sort of time for him. whereas. If you look at his 10-yard split, he has the best weight-adjusted 10-yard split here at 1.54 seconds. That's a 10-yard split you'd associate with someone who's running easily in the 4.5s as opposed to 4.67, which he actually ran. And it would give you a hint at his explosiveness on the, on the NFL level. So I'd say 10-yard splits, everyone pay attention to those. That's going to be a big thing during this particular event that it doesn't get a lot of focus on much. The other thing I would think about is one of the bigger effects that I found here, offensive linemen and agility for offensive tackle. It's a little bit more difficult to parse out what's important and what's not, because I'm looking at players who end up playing tackle in the NFL, and there are going to be quite a few players who don't end up being NFL tackles who were tackles in college. And they largely get eliminated for the fact that they don't have the right physical traits So for instance, on here, my numbers show that arm length is actually negatively correlated with your success as being a tackle. And that's a big measurement that a lot of people focus on. They have cutoffs at maybe 32 inches for arm length. And there's selection bias here, though, because if you're playing snaps at tackle in the NFL and you have short arms, that means you probably have really good stuff going on outside of that. Joe Thomas, for instance, is a guy, you know, one of the best tackles ever, 32 and a half inch arms. So he's on the low side there. So you probably have something else very, very positive going on there. And there's a selection bias there. And I think that's also the case here where you look at agility drills. They only have a small impact. You look at things like the 40 time. It only has a small impact and a bigger impact on draft position, but neither have a huge impact. I think there's more of a skill base to tackle. And there's more of a selection bias where it's only really, really, really looking at the most athletic players who can fit into this bucket. But. For interior offensive linemen, the players that we're not thinking about as being as athletic, the ones who can't play on the outside, we get much more significant results. Uh, First, arm length is still lower. It's still negatively correlated. Even though it's highly correlated with uh, draft position, it's still negatively correlated here. So maybe too much of a focus on arm length. And as far as the athletic drills are concerned, the broad jump is pretty important where it doesn't have much effect on draft position. The sprints are important on draft position, but not important for PFF war for real value. And the most important thing for these interior offensive linemen is the agility drills, the three cone and the shuttle, the shuttle a little bit more than the three cone are very, very important for war um, vis-a-vis how much they affect draft position. So I think that's what you're going to want to look at for these players who are, it's going to matter for, for tackles also, um, but especially for the guys who are going to be kicked inside How agile are they? We want guys who are agile and athletic, but they don't necessarily need to be sprinters, which is a weird thing even to think that you need guys who are, you know, playing the offensive line to even worry about what, what they're doing there. Uh, The one thing I'll mention for quarterback, because I'd probably be remiss if I didn't talk about quarterback at all, is the fact that there's not a lot here for war, but for fantasy value, the athletic drills are becoming more and more important as ever. Um, in particular, the three cone is the biggest one there. The agility, there, weight adjusted agility is also important for war, but not as much as it is for draft position and hand size matters. Hand size is coming out of something that matters a little bit here. It's one of the more important drills for determining PFF war, and it's not a huge mover for draft position. So I know you're gonna hear a lot of stories about Kenny Pickett in particular and his hand size. I mean, we'll see when I run them through. Uh, The model here after we have all their results, but uh, I wouldn't overanalyze it, but it is a thing to take advantage of. And lastly, height is the biggest effect for draft position, and it has virtually no effect on war. And we've seen a lot of shorter quarterbacks be early draft picks. So it's kind of hard to disentangle all that stuff with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield being number one picks, but height doesn't seem to matter as much as it does for a draft position, but I think the NFL is becoming a little bit more hip to that as time goes on. Okay, before I get to the defensive positions here for the Combine, let's talk about Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, starting to plan a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investments, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up, to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at Southern.com slash PFF. And Hoops fans out there, the latest offer for DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If the sports book is not available in your state yet, you can take your big shot at a big payday with DFS. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any NFL team. I'm sorry, any NBA team and get $150. Dollars in free bets if they win. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 20 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get into the defense. Uh, before that, though, I want to talk a little bit about my very limited research. Uh, I basically just hit up people who I know fairly well in Uh, NFL front offices who work with analytics groups. I know guys fairly well from maybe half a dozen franchises. I mean, I know guys tangentially, uh, more acquaintances with others in other franchises. But let's face it, there's not a ton that are doing a lot of work here. Uh, Kind of just reaching out to them to figure out, you know, what's important about the combine, how much of the drills actually matter, the medicals, the interviews, all that stuff. You know, it sounds like the analytics groups are not getting involved, at least that I talk to, very much so, or at least for the majority of the time, in the in figuring out the interview stuff and analyzing that, which makes a little bit of sense. It's more of a feel sort of thing. I've heard from people there that it's more of a thumbs down type of situation in the interviews that they do at the combine that. You're if you're worried about someone from a quote-unquote character perspective or do they love football perspective, it's really to eliminate them from your pool rather than necessarily someone boosting themselves up so so hugely in these interviews, despite the fact you'll hear about how so and so is on the whiteboard and it was so amazing um, how a particular quarterback was the smartest guy in the in, in the room type of situation. You could probably fade a lot of that type of noise. Uh, The medicals are a big deal. So guys are working with medicals in NFL front offices, uh, in analytics groups here. And that's going to be the one thing that's going to drive draft position that's going to stay fairly tight-lipped. We talk about uh, HIPAA a lot here, but we're talking about some, some real stuff here as far as not wanting to... Uh, release that to the public. And when you see guys who are going to fall a lot, they've either been eliminated from the draft position or have been thrown maybe in the toss-a-pick item in the last round type of category because of worrying medicals that you'll have for different players. And you know when guys are being scooped up and we're saying it's a great value pick, normally value picks are, number one, just difficult to have because you have to have all these different teams missing on someone for them to truly be a value. Um, Number two is you might have a medical situation for teams where you're just basically gauging risk tolerance. Who's willing to take the biggest risk there for for that side of thing. And when it comes to the drills, it seems like there's a lot, there are some thresholds, there's some other things going on here, but there is a whole scouting industrial complex here for these different teams and these scouts have been, you know, hand timing these different drills right there with the players. So I think scouts still have a, a lot more control on how these drill times and measurements are interpreted and are used in the ranking process than analytics groups, which makes sense. Um, and maybe it's just kind of a more of a slow chipping away there. And the these analytics groups for a lot of teams are just not that robust. So they're spending their time doing a lot of other things rather than necessarily digging through things like, combine 40 times when you have pretty strong opinions among scouts and player personnel guys as to what those mean anyway, or how to marry those with the tape also that they're doing. Okay. So that's my spiel on uh, my informal reporting that I've done there. Let's get to defensive positions, defensive positions and the combine, what matters or not. Um, here again, the 10 matters a little bit more than you would think, but it's not as dramatic as it is for offensive players. The 10 mattering more. I would say edge defender is an interesting one because the forty is the most important drill for any position, any defensive position for edge defenders. Yet it's you know more minor as far as its effect on PFF war, although it is the most important thing for PFF war. And the other effects are really really small. So the only the only interesting thing here is that smaller size has been a little bit more effective for PFF war, probably because the smaller the player, the more likely they are a pass rush specialist, which we're going to feed into a little bit more into our numbers. Uh, Interior defenders, three cone is very, it's pretty big here. Uh, I'm surprised by how big it is. It's not, it doesn't have the biggest effect on draft status. Uh, It's the second biggest effect. Also the 10 yard split has a big effect on draft status, but the three cone is pretty important. And another interesting thing here for these interior defenders. So we're talking about the guys who are playing on the defensive line in the middle uh, weight, significant positive to have a bigger weight. And I do think there is a move in the NFL for having bigger nose tackle type guys to plug up, uh, the middle when you have also have a focus on, and you know, you're bringing a safety out of the box. A lot of time you're putting them back here in these two high defenses, you're downsizing linebackers to focus more and more on coverage. You're bringing in an extra, you know, nickel is the new base, right? Um, a lot of times in these defenses. So the more and more you do that, the more having maybe, you know, everyone was kind of really focused on this interior pressure that someone can bring, but at least on early downs on run, favored downs, having someone who can handle a couple of gaps up front, uh, a bigger player who can handle a couple of gaps up front can be very, very valuable uh, in not having to dedicate additional resources from the back end. Uh, to stop the run there and be able to play more on coverage. So I I think there can be this weird phenomenon where everyone's focusing on defenses getting lighter in a lot of different areas, but maybe getting a little bit heavier on the interior, at least that's what my numbers are showing, can be more valuable. Not a lot for linebackers to think of. Uh, Speed is not really important for them uh, vis-a-vis what it is for the draft being the most important thing. If we go on to... I thought safety and cornerback were interesting. It's a little bit like the offensive tackle and the interior offensive lineman where you can get disqualified from playing cornerback more so for not having the right measurements than you can at safety. Yet the measurements show up as being much more important, especially speed, which you wouldn't think would be necessarily hugely important for a safety, Uh, much more important there than for cornerback. Again, there's probably a selection bias issue here where the cornerbacks are already selected for the most athletic fastest guys. So we're not going to see it show up as much, but it still has a bigger effect on draft position than on war. So again, fade it maybe a little bit for a cornerback and then think about it a little bit more for safety. You know, Devin McCourty, Jamal Adams, Adrian Amos, Eric Berry, they all posted 40 yard dash times that were at least 13 and a 13 of a hundred seconds faster. So more than a 10th of a second faster than their weight adjusted expectations. And, you know, some of those guys were early draft picks, of course, but um, it kind of just shows that they've been some of the most productive guys by PFF War in their first few seasons. And they were also fast, um, but yet we're not playing the cornerback position. We're playing the safety position. All right. Before I get into my modeling on the most important rookies, potentially for fantasy football, let's talk about Manscaped. Uh, I'm asking, can I get a round of applause, everyone? I don't know who, maybe I should I should have had a, a sound drop in here for, for some applause. But today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man that covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. I'd recommend using their products in this order. Hop in the shower and scrub-a-dub that body with the Manscaped body wash. Lather up your hair with the two-in-one shampoo conditioner to keep your noggin toggin. I don't even know what toggin means. What is noggin? I mean, I know what noggin means. I don't know what toggin means. I'm going to have to get an explainer on this one. Dry off and spray on the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. You spray it on? That's interesting. Put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chapped lips. Getting dressed after is optional. I guess it's a joke Wear one great scent all day long, get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped. The power of attraction is now in a bottle. Thanks to manscaped. Okay. Let's get to my analysis. So I got pre combine and I'll update these after the combine. Although like, again, the combine is not hugely important in moving these guys projections, but I'll update it post combine, especially I'll update, the draft position changes that happen with the combine is probably more important than the actual results themselves. Um, I'll talk about the methodology here first for running backs. What I did was I used a couple different models, what we call an ensemble where you use uh, multiple different models here, a tree-based model, and then also a regression model here. And the, the things that I found to be most important, and I crunched a shit ton of different numbers for these different positions to try to figure out what's most important. Uh draft position, most important, you know, shocking, right? Um, and I'm using assumed draft mission from mocking uh from grindingthemocks.com. So draft position, this is a running back's share of total team yards. So this is going to figure out, and I'm looking at this not just on season long basis, I'm looking at individual games. So I can get the share of those individual games for players who may have missed games to so have the most accurate number there. So how, so how much not only is a running back taking up of the backfield touches, but how involved are they? In the receiving game, how, vol- how big are they as part of the total offense? Rushing yards per game, share of total team touchdowns, so pretty similar to share of total team yards if for touchdowns. And this is in, uh, again, descending order of what's most important. 40-yard dash, which is not part of this analysis, but will be for the next analysis. Uh, receptions per game, weight and age. So we go down here, and the first tier of running backs that I have, and these guys are all projected according to – uh, grinding the mocks to go between picks 55 and 66. The first tier is Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, and Kenneth Walker. So they're really being driven by draft position here. But Hall uh, from Iowa State has the lowest assumed draft position, but he is the highest projection here. Why is the highest projection? Well, he had 36.5% of the yards for his team and 50% of the touchdowns. Now, those numbers are actually worse than Kenneth Walker. Who is slightly lower than him. I mean, we're talking about, first off, I should say for this class, Hall as of right now is a 90th percentile guy, 91 percentile. That's not great. And mostly because their draft positions are not that high. Normally you'd be hoping, and for last year, when we're talking about the big running backs there, Williams, um, Najee Harris, for the for, for those guys were more like uh, 95th, 96th, 97th percentile. These guys are 90th, so just keep keep that in mind there. Uh so but what Hall does bring that Walker does not bring, and this is what pumps him up, is well, and he's a little bit he's expected to be a little bit bigger, so that matters a little bit. Uh, but the biggest thing is he had 3.1 receptions per game. And I'm projecting PPR scoring here, so that ends up being hugely important. Kenneth Walker, only 1.1 receptions per game. Maybe he wasn't asked to do that in the Michigan State offense. Maybe he displays those skills. It's going to be something that's going to be very important to pay attention to when they're doing the drills as far as how well he can catch because that could boost him up quite a bit. And, of course, it's going to matter what system he goes to in the NFL. But for me, it's Hall, number one, in the first tier and separated slightly. Then Spiller and Walker right next to each other after that. Spiller had... Worse numbers for his shares across the board, but he was middling in the middle with his receptions per game, which put him in the middle there. Okay, the second tier for running backs here, Kyron Williams and Damian Pierce. They are both predicted to be drafted in the 70s, so not too far after. And there's not a lot differentiating these guys. I mean, Williams is much more productive on the ground, and then Pierce you know, is bigger, basically. So Williams is more productive, similar draft position. Pierce is projected to have a weight around two hundred and fifteen pounds versus about 200 pounds for william so that's what's going to separate those two guys in this tier uh going down further there's not a lot i'm interested to see what James Cook weighs in on James Cook is the brother of dalvin cook I had his weight at 190 here but if he can post i don't know maybe he'll just be chugging water before the weight if he can post a 195 if he can post two hundred I'd be really interested in him because well he only had about 50 rushing yards per game uh, and his market share of the rushing was only about 20. He did have two receptions per game. He did was involved in the touchdowns somewhat. He could he could really pump up in that category, but he's someone who can maybe be an explosive type of back for PPR formats as someone to to be to pay attention to. Uh going into final guys that you might be able to pick out who are Projecting better than their assumed draft position. One is uh, Sincere McCormick, 132 rushing yards per game, a 38% share of rushing yards, which is pretty big. And he also had 1.9 receptions per game. So he kind of hits all those different metrics there. We'll see how he tests. That's going to be very important for a lot of these guys and can move up a lot of their numbers. Another guy is Tyler Beatty. He is predicted predicted to go in the fourth fifth round if he can get up a bit higher test well 4.3 receptions per game you know 50 market share for his touchdowns 40 percent for his rushing yards very very productive guy he's going to be on the older side it looks like his rookie age is going to be over 23 years old but that's not hugely important for running backs it matters somewhat uh, but he's probably the other guy that i'll be paying the most attention to in this class let's turn to Wide receivers. Wide receivers, we've got a similar situation to running backs where, you know, last year was such a heavy offensive draft. The first, what was it? Nine, uh, no, no. Eight of the first 10 picks in the NFL draft were all offensive positions. Uh, Many skill players early in the draft here, not quite predicting the same thing. Again, no running backs are really predicted to go close to the first round at this point. And Wide receivers, their highest assumed draft position here, the numbers that I'm looking at, again, people are, have a lot of different opinions here, is Traylon Burks at 13th overall. So the middle of the first round or worse for most of these guys. Uh, similar methodology for them, except for we're looking at draft position, again, is the most important thing. The second most important thing is career share of team receiving yards. Now, we're looking at this on a game-by-game basis and their share of those yards in all those different games that they played throughout their career. Why is career important here, but it wasn't important for running backs? Well, running back is a opportunity-based position where you're giving someone a carry. They're not necessarily earning it. It's difficult to get on the field in certain times. So your best season is going to be more important there. The career share is more important because it's a bigger sample. It's multiple seasons. And it's kind of showing also how early in your career, if you can earn targets, because most of these guys, if they're top, prospect types they weren't running the pine early in their careers they may not have been featured wide receivers early in their careers but they weren't running the pine so getting early production with the opportunities that you have is very very important. so that's the most important stat is their career share of team receiving yards. next is their best season share of receiving yards next after that is their career share of receiving touchdowns then draft age weight best season yards per route run. Um, that's our. We have the metric based upon yards per route run. You'll see others will use yards per attempt, which is a similar statistic, but this looks specifically at when they're on the field or not with, with running a route. And then their best season yards per reception as a proxy for uh, their explosiveness there. And this this data goes back to 2006 that I'm using here. So some of it we have the PFF data for, some of it we don't. And I do approximate yards per route run with yards per team pass attempts for those before 2014, when we really start to have PFF data. Okay. Wide receiver class. Traylon Burks is my number one guy, number one guy on the draft board. But if you look, many people are are big on Drake London or Garrett Wilson, who are very, very close to Burks as far as expected draft position. But they're not really close on here in terms of my projection. Burks is the 96th percentile. So good, pretty good in his projection. Um, And he's about tied with Jamison Williams, who's my number two guy. Now that's a little bit out of lock with at least what these mock draft positions say here, because Williams is up at a 22 is assumed draft position. So that would be lower than London, Wilson, London and Wilson close to Alave. He's close to Alave, but he's much, much higher in my projections. Also a 96 percentile. Again, this is really, really good. But when you compare it to uh, Devontae Smith last year and Jamar Chase and well, not J- they're actually a little bit better than Jalen Waddle last year. But if you, you compare it to those two guys in particular, uh, they were like 99th percentile, 98th percentile. So a little bit higher up here. Uh, why Burks? Well, his assumed weight is 225. We'll see what he weighs in. You know, it doesn't matter that much for this one, um, but that's part of it. I mean, it's really just a production-based metric. His career share of market uh, of yards is almost 36%. That's better than a lot of guys' best season for what they've done over his career. Now maybe didn't have as much competition as you would in Alabama and other places. I do make adjustments for having multiple first round receivers uh for sorry, top top 100 picks that you have to compete with where I boost up the numbers a bit here. He didn't have that, but still 36% of receiving yards over his career which is a huge huge number, one of the best ones out there. Uh, 36, 37% in career touchdowns. So he's doing both. And in his best season, he was about 42% in his market share of receiving yards, 3.6 yards per route run, which leads the class only 17 yards per reception, which is a bit lower, but I'm going to have some numbers that I'm going to, I'm going to look about at press coverage. Cause he didn't face press coverage a lot. He played in the slot a lot, which dragged down his yards per reception and his a dot. But when he was pressed, when he did play on the outside, he was excellent and had an 18 a dots and was the, the best performing player in limited sample in that regard. So I, that's not a concern for me with Burks uh, for Jamison Williams. He might be a little bit overprojected because the ACL injury, the late ACL injury last season is not part of these projections, but it is part of his draft position assumption. So it does build in that way. The reason that the model likes him a lot is he had 20 yards per reception. That comes through over three yards per route run. So when you combine blazing speed, which I do think he has, I think he might have been the fastest receiver, at least of the top guys, if he had a chance to run at the combine, which he won't. Uh, but he had the, the stretching the field there too. His numbers are a little bit weaker in his market share under 30%, but not horrible. He does have a best season over 30%. And again, he's competing with guys who are more NFL prospect talents. And he's 20, he's gonna start his rookie season, my projection. Um, I use the September 1st date, 21.4 years old versus Burks, who's 22.4. Now both are underclassmen, which, which helps they're not coming out. They didn't exhaust their last year of eligibility, but a year younger gives them a little bit of a boost there. Tier two is going to have a lot of the names you guys know about Drake, London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave are next. And, those are really going to be separated from the others for the fact that they have first round or late first round assumed draft positions. I think Olave is the guy that has a little bit more concerns for than some others might because of the fact that he looks like he's going to be a little bit smaller. We'll see. He, he he might just blow up the combine and pass by Garrett Wilson. He's basically the same age. He's a pretty close to the same weight His slightly better production metrics slightly better yards per route run. So I think when you combine all that together, he probably should be a better prospect, but his assumed draft position is 27 here where Wilson's is 15. So I I think I would... Like Alave vis-a-vis Wilson, fading Wilson a little bit here, but we'll see what they what happens in the projections here. Now, Drake London is an interesting guy because people like him. He's six five, but he's only about projected to be about two ten in weight, so he's an interesting body type here. He's a young guy, twenty one years old, assumed draft position of fourteen. His career share market share is only twenty six percent of yards and twenty three of touchdowns. So lower amounts, you know, more than 10% lower than Traylon Burks in those two categories. He was really someone who emerged, though, in his final season. He had a 43 market share in his eight games in his final season before he became injured, which is actually better than any of Burks's seasons. So I think he could get a lot of hype because of that great eight games that he had last season. But again, the smaller sample, we should be less confident in it. Um, and his yards per route run was 3.5, which is almost up there and right there with the top guys there, too. Uh, So I think London is an interesting prospect, but maybe a little bit less confident in what he can do because of the short sample of elite play. Uh, Wandale Robinson is in this tier here with a lot of first round guys, although he projects to be a second round, maybe third round guy. It depends on how much you really think he's going to be a gadget type of player. He's 185 pounds is our assumption. If he can boost that up into the 190s, that would be nice. He's a young guy at 21 years old. I won't be 22 before the season starts and his market share numbers are incredible, you know, 35% career, uh, receiving and only 26% for touchdowns. So again, projecting not as that guy, but in his best season, he has the top best season market share here with 46%, only 13 yards per reception. So can he transition into maybe not the slot only guy, but then again, we saw, you know, Elijah Moore and Rondale Moore be, um, in that mix for early second round type of picks or better. So maybe Wanda Robinson can fall in there, but I don't think he's seen as quite being on that level. Uh, David Bell rounds out this tier. So we go a bit further down. George Pickens is probably the guy who has the highest draft position, who has the worst numbers, according to my model. And he just had some injury problems. So it depends. He hasn't really, he was pretty good as a freshman. It started strong. Uh, He had a single season, but he only has a single season receiving share over 25%. Only did that once in his career and maybe he'll test really well, but his best yards per route run at 2.6 is pretty low, but he is coming out as a younger guy and you know, you never, you never know, you never know how these guys tested. He's a little bit, he's just, just much more of a question mark and his assumed draft position in the early second round is higher and better than someone like Wandale Robinson who projects a lot better in my model. If you go further down, there aren't a lot of guys that are popping vis-a-vis their draft position. I mean, Alex Pierce is another guy who's not good versus his draft position. He's down a little bit lower. And uh, Calvin Austin third is not looking so good. Yeah, there's not a lot to get excited about. We'll see post-draft, I mean post-combine, where these numbers start to go, where these draft positions start to solidify. But for me, Burks is the solid... Wide receiver one, I would have Jamison Williams as two. I could be okay. I probably Alave or London is three, then Garrett Wilson after. And I'd also think Wondell Robinson would be my guy for the sleeper in the mid sort of tier, someone who could produce at the next level. Okay, that's all I got for you guys. 50 minutes of too much calm by goodness. Again, I'll come at you next week with updating all the different results and then also looking at some research that I'm doing on press coverage. Again, you want to get access to that research, go ahead and use promo code unexpected over at pff.com for 25% off. Otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone next week. And if you want to go ahead, rate, review the pod, do so. And I truly appreciate it. Thanks a lot, everybody.